This episode of Agency Deal Masters is brought to you by Account Insight, the B2B programmatic advertising platform for B2B agencies. Account Insight helps you deliver targeted, tailored ads to high-value companies because today's B2B buyer decides digitally and in teams of up to 40 people. Account Insight helps you solve the problem of marketing to whole accounts, not just to one person. That's why smarter B2B marketers use account-based advertising. Founded by former WPP executives with extensive experience building and delivering B2B solutions, several friends of the show and leading B2B agencies use Account Insight to deliver targeted ads. You can find out more at accountinsight.ai. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Luke Bozat is the COO of Mediacom, only the largest media agency in the world. In his over 20-year career, Luke has launched products, refreshed brands, led integrated agency teams, driven communication strategies across a vast array of areas from cars, booze, charities, finance, kids, TV, hairdryers, holidays, just go down the list. Uh, So there are very few people in the world who know as much as Luke when it comes to the world of media marketing and advertising and how to use the brand's budget to get get the best return for the client. This is an absolutely fascinating conversation about everything from what the media landscape looks like today, how they advise client clients, and how Mediacom actually helps brands see the bigger picture by sometimes offering advice that actually ends up taking money out of their own pockets. Uh, we talk about linking agency fees to compensation. Um, We talk about some of their amazing campaigns. Um, They were the guys behind the uh, relaunch of the PlayStation 5 uh, console last year, which you may remember was just enormous. It was everywhere for a period of weeks. It seemed as though PlayStation 5 had taken over the internet um, and the underground as well, as as you people in London may know. They were behind that. This is just an absolutely must listen to conversation with a marketing leader who has had a very small part in building what is now the biggest media agency in the world. May I remind you that when he joined Mediacom in 2000, it was not the company that it is today. There were about roughly about 90 people. um, And a lot of people outside the company had no idea, wouldn't have been able to foresee the sort of company that they were building or that they would become However, a handful of people internally were drinking some pretty cool, uh, strong Kool-Aid. So we talk about kind of what was in the Kool-Aid, what was in the culture at the time at Mediacom that enabled such fantastic growth um, over, the, over the subsequent 20 years. By the way, this interview is brought to you by the great guys at Account Insight, the B2B programmatic advertising platform for B2B agencies and brands. Stick around until the end of the interview where you'll hear Thomas Lint and I discuss Luke's interview, which is absolutely fascinating. I'm going to shut up and stop talking now, but I'm just going to say, if you're interested in anything to do with media and building brands, then this is an absolutely fascinating conversation and a must-listen-to conversation as well. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Luke Bozat. Luke Boziat is the COO of Mediacom. He has over 20 years of experience working in media 
and communications. He's launched products, refreshed brands, led integrated agency teams and driven communication strategies across a vast array of areas from cars, booze, charities, finance, kids TV, hair dryers and holidays. He specializes in media planning, communication planning, advertising, agency integration and social media. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Luke Boziat, welcome to Agency Deal Masters. Hi, thank you. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. Let's start with your history and background because it's absolutely fascinating. You you get your BA from Bournemouth University in 2000 and then you join Mediacom uh, in the same year and you just never left. <laughs> what what kept you at the business for over 20, 20 years? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I mean, that misses a very small section. So immediately after university, my English lecturer actually got me a job at their editors in, in Hampstead. So I worked for probably about three or four months in a really bizarre place in Hampstead. It was a bit like being in an episode of Black Books, if you've, if you've ever seen that, but without without all the jokes. <laughs> so um, I realised quite quickly that wasn't for me. And I was living at the time with a, with a load of my friends from university who were all working mm. in advertising or, or media. So working in you know, Rainy Kelly or... CIA and and one of them, uh, my friend Matthew Buttrick, was working in Mediacom, and um, he said, "Well, they're sort of recruiting, so um, maybe have a look." So I did, and when I joined, you know, Mediacom was really small. It was a tiny agency, just merged with a company called the Media Business, um, and it had grown quite a bit, but it was still under a hundred people, mm. um, and. Yeah, I, I, I sort of joined with every intention of going, okay, I'll do this for a bit. I'll, I'll see how that works. Stay there for two, three years and then, and then move on. And as you pointed out, I haven't. Um, and I'm often asked that question of kind of, well, why, why, why haven't you? And I think this, the, the growth of Mediacom and the opportunities that that then afforded me is part of that. So from the moment that I joined, there was a kind of a, a rocket ship of, of kind of growth and we were, constantly you know, pitching, winning new business. It was really exciting. It's a really mm. exciting place to be. And I felt very much part of that. And a lot of the people that I worked with then, I still work with and still very much part of the, the agency. So I think really, if you were to ask me what, what has kept me there is the people, um, which sounds you know, a bit like a cliche. Um, and particularly as our, our kind of mantra is people first, better results. But really it is you know, the, the, the people I worked with them, then the energy, the entrepreneurship, the drive and the passion that, that those people had then and still have now mm. was what, what, what kept me there. Really. So you must have joined the company at a really pivotal time where lots of other similar minded entrepreneurial creative people joined. What was it about the culture of Mediacom at that time, you know, sub 100 people that created an environment? that allowed you to go on the journey that you've gone on over the last 20 years and become the biggest media agency in the world? I think, I think it's a number of things as, as always, you know, there's never one, one thing. thing that goes, well, it was just, <laughs> it was it was just down to that that, 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 that did right. it. Um, I think um, we like to win as, as a, you know, a lot of agencies are kind of um, driven on that kind of competitive, how do you kind of continually push yourself and, be top of the game and win. So there was a there was a kind of a real competitiveness within the agency. 
but that was a very much an external we we want to win against everyone else whereas internally we all want to support each other to be the best that we can and i think that culture of really you know looking out for each other and helping everyone succeed in the way that they could in the agency was was a big part of that cultural shift i think that we didn't restrict ourselves to what we were and still don't and i think one of the things that defines mediacom is our uh, ability to kind of look at what is missing in the industry what is needed and how to connect things together and then diversify our offering mm. so absolutely at our core we're a media planning and buying agency and that is a significant part of our business but we were the first agency to embed and create uh marketing analytics um, uh, and econometrics within the agency we were the first agency to build a sizable and significant uh, research agency within our agency uh, we were the first agency to launch a content division and so on and so on so constantly looking at where we needed to move next and where uh, the next opportunity was is a, is a kind of defining point i think so so those things a kind of competitive edge um, a culture of kind of winning together and, and supporting each other and then uh, the ability to diversify and, and, and focus on the next opportunity. So let's talk about that in a bit more detail then. As you've said, there are many different lines of business. Most people would think of Mediacom as being a traditional media planning and, and buying business. But as you said, over the years, you've diversified your revenue streams, you've expanded. Mm -hmm. Tell us, give us a flavor of what are the major significant uh, sort of revenue streams that make up the overall pie and how has that changed over time and how will it change as the media landscape evolves and flexes and does what it's doing at the moment? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting question, actually, um, because I think as with any you know, business, diversification of revenue streams is, is kind of the secret to to growing and success and now as i said at our core we're a media planning and buying agency and clients will pay us um, for advising them on how to best spend their media money in order to get a return so the predominant revenue stream is for doing that right um, and we'll 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 go to a good client and explain how our planning our thought process our tools and systems will allow them to have the best opportunity for getting the best back out of every every pound they spend. But broader than that, it's around the advice we give. So actually, if you say, well, you're paid for planning and buying media, that would be true, but we're actually paid for the advice that we give on planning and buying that media. Mm. And increasingly what we're, we're doing is tying our success to our client's success. So ensuring that you know, those recommendations we're making on where to spend the client's money is based on the best return that they can get for that. Mm. And if that grows their business, um, we would share in that success and a payment by results or you know, uh, lots of different ways of, of coining it. But ultimately, increasingly, our revenue is being tied to um, the success of our clients. And in order for us to do that, in diversification of our product, we will you know, build tools and service and services that clients will want to buy because they benefit them in terms of growing their business and understanding. So Econometrics, which I talked about earlier, mm. is a 
part of our business. We created that because clients were sort of knew that their advertising was working and they knew that it was driving something, but they wanted to, to, to properly understand the detail of how that was performing versus the creative versus the, the sales promotion that they put on. So by having that ability and being able to have a, uh, a, a an econometric model to pull that apart and explain the ROI from the media and how much was being impacted by the, the media spend how much was being impacted by just the market and so on and so forth it was an incredibly valuable thing and clients were willing to pay for that service to help understand how the rest of their money was performing so all of it you know our our, our revenue will be always tied back to our advice that we give to our clients so the better advice that we give our clients the more successful they become and then the the more we share in that success just on the advertising piece What's the future of advertising when most consumers do everything in their power to kind of avoid it by any means necessary? I mean, you can even pay YouTube and Google these days to stop showing you ads by subscribing to YouTube Premium, et cetera. And, uh, you know, there, there are many different ways. You know, they say that advertising is, is, a, tax on, is a tax on the poor, um, which, which is an interesting way of, of putting it. But when your business relies on the ability to show relevant ads and creative to consumers at mass, how do you best do that when consumers are very adept and smart at sort of avoiding ads at any means necessary? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because yes, the ability to avoid advertising is increasing. So you can put ad blockers on, you know, iOS upgrades, you, know, you can um, subscribe and then uh, remove the advertising and also a lot of content that people are consuming now is subscription only and therefore doesn't have advertising uh, involved Netflix being a key example of that but I think that even with that there are certain kind of tent poles within uh, within society within culture that will continue to be ones that people are drawn to and that are not subscription that do have advertising in them and those will increasingly become important so live sports and live events and uh, and those types of things i'm talking about those will continue to kind of drive audiences towards them and therefore um you know advertisers will be able to place advertising in those i think it's really important that the, the adverts that people are, are seeing in those places are really good mm. um because really good advertising has the effect of you not knowing that you're being advertised to. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always thought that. I've always thought the best ads are ones that you just enjoy and you don't even think that you're, you're being advertised to. And that isn't necessarily just because it's an amazing you know, 90 second creative that, that, uh, that, that speaks to you or kind of, you know, the Guinness ad is always talked about the, as one of the best ads ever made. And of course that type of advertising is brilliant, but, the more relevant you are to a consumer, then the less noticed the advertising is. Because obviously you want people to see the, the advert and to engage in the advert, but you don't want them to necessarily feel like they're being advertised to. You want them mm. to engage in the thing that they're seeing and feel that it is a relevant thing for their life. So if I look at um, yeah, the stuff that appears to me in my um, social media feeds, Predominantly, the adverts that appear there are pretty bang on. Mm. 
you know, they are they are the sorts of things that I am likely to to go and buy. This shirt actually is a is is bought from a from a from an ad that Good choice. was nice shirt. me on a social media network. Thank you very much. And I then uh, went on and I and I purchased through it. But it was it was within a feed that it just looked natural. It felt natural. It mm. felt part of the experience. And I think that the reason people try and avoid advertising is because they feel it's irrelevant to them. And if they feel like they're being bombarded with irrelevant ads that just don't work for them, just aren't, you know, they're not interested in, then they'll try and move away from it. Mm. The better we are at making sure that we are being relevant to our audience, that we're advertising things that are um, right for them, that fit their lives, that, that, that are appropriate you know, to talk to them at the time that we're talking to them, um, the better we'll do. And that, that is ultimately what we focus on at Mediacom is ensuring that, of course, the right time, the right place, the, but the right message as well. Mm. And making sure that that message is absolutely intrinsically linked with the audience and the consumer that we're trying to talk to. Interesting. A lot of what we talked about so far involves the communication part of, of marketing, the uh, promotion you know, of, of the four Ps. And we've been criticized, marketers have been criticized a lot recently for focusing on the promotion element without looking at products and price and place and, you know, the other P's in the um, equation. Mm -hmm. What role does, you know, distribution and price play in your thinking in your, when you're talking to clients about their communication strategy and and, uh, sort of, you know, growing their brand? What role do the other P's play in that consideration set? Well, it's, I mean, it's all part of a of a system, isn't it? And we talk a lot at Mediacom about, about systems and about kind of piecing together communication systems and connecting that to the rest of the client's business. So I think the challenge for marketeers now, which is what you're just talking about there, is it's very easy to have a very fragmented experience for consumers because their advertising and their communication is doing one thing, they're... But, but their distribution of their product may be giving a different experience. So if they're not in control of that distribution in terms of how it looks um, in a shop or on an e-shop or on an Amazon listing, then actually that, that kind of whole brand image can be kind of eradicated. Also, if the price is out of line with the market, with, a, with out of line with um, the, the customer's expectation, they can... Uh, they can come across of there. So you have to think about all of these things together. Um, I think the distribution point is becoming even more important, particularly as we, we move uh, and have accelerated in the last year into an e-commerce world where so much of our shopping is done you know, through uh, social commerce, from e-commerce, um, and that experience of um, your what your brand appears like in the advert that you see on your newsfeed or in your uh, on your on your TV, to the experience of the the web store or the experience of when that product is shown in Amazon, has to be absolutely um, linked together because it's all part of how your um, how your brand is appearing. So absolutely, that kind of line from you know broadcast communication all the way through to customer experience and uh, and, and and CX and UX is is a critical part of what we're looking at when we're looking at clients' communication systems and, and kind of putting together that, that kind of bigger picture. Mm. 
Your your value prop is we help clients see the bigger picture to unleash growth. Explain what the bigger picture looks like um, and, and really give us a sense of kind of what the the fragmented media landscape looks like today as we sit here in sort of May 2021. I mean, we've got everyone. I mean, you mentioned Amazon and Google and, and Facebook and we've got TV and broadcast media and the, a million other channels in between. It's It's really hard for clients to really make sense of what their options are and, you know, you know, where best to deploy their resources. How, how do you help clients make sense of that bigger picture and then unleash that growth, as you said, in your value prop? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it ties a lot to what we were just talking about um, in that the whole communication landscape has exploded. If I go back to when I started 20 years ago, relatively straightforward. I mean, people were talking about fragmentation then in the sense that we, we, you know, we'd gone from having ITV and Channel 4 mm-hmm. to having satellite TV and lots of channels, right? So fragmentation's always been a thing for the last, you know, 20 years at least. Right. But I think it's more fundamental now because broadly what we were speaking about there was um, places in which you could rent space to place adverts in. Um, the media agency would do the renting of the space. The creative agency would, would create an advert to place in that. And then there were some other people who dealt with kind of where the product was in the shop and and people did have to go and buy it from a shop um and those things were kind of it's a relatively simple mechanic and a relatively straightforward system now what you've got is yeah a much more complicated world in terms of how you can reach your audience so as you pointed out you know you still all of the those things still exist broadcast tv prints uh, you know, radio, out of home, all of those things existed. The amount of audience they receive is, is, has changed and will continue to fluctuate. Uh, but then you've got all the other things. So you've got things like search, which, which didn't exist. And um, you've got e-commerce platforms. You've got uh, VOD. You've got you know, streaming services. You've got all manner of things to, to piece together. Um, and it's really complicated. And uh, yeah, I don't envy our, our <laughs> client's job to try and piece all of those things together mm. and create that consistency. I think what we see at Mediacom is a real value in our ability to look across the entire communication landscape and take a perspective, a holistic perspective, rather than have a particular bias towards any particular channel. Um, so, what uh, 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 someone I used to work with. Um, still do work with actually James Thomas he used to used to use the phrase if everything uh, if the only tool you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail mm. and I think that's really interesting when you look at um, you know specialisms in our industry so a specialist agency or service will always look at their specialism and say the answer to your problem is more of the thing we do my service <laughs> right yeah just so service. happens I am yeah, whether it's uh, an e-commerce business right. or a, a social uh, business or a search business, sure. they will always go, the thing that will solve your problem is my thing. Sure. Because they've got a hammer, that looks like a nail. Yeah. Um, what, what Mediacom does is it sort of steps back from that and goes, right, what is genuinely the next best place to spend your money to drive a return on investment for you? and to deliver the return that you're looking for, be that a brand uplift or be that a direct sale that you're looking for. Um, And that's what we kind of tie everything back to is kind of our advice is around 
how should you spend your money in a way that is going to drive that return? And sometimes, and there's some examples I can think of, it might be there are recommendations to not spend on advertising at all. Hmm. So, I mean, you know, when I was when I was running uh, a car account, uh, I remember having a long conversation with a with a client who was uh, who had been tasked with getting a younger audience into um, one of their cars, and our recommendation was that with the particular product that they had, we could absolutely reach that audience. We could absolutely advertising, and the creative agency could come up with an amazing ad. However, the product wasn't appealing to them because they were competing in a market where everyone else was 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 uh was was creating something a bit different so our recommendation was well we can advertise of course we can create an advertising plan that reaches this audience for you and of course we'll make a brilliant ad but we don't think it will work we think what we need to do is to create is to spend a bit of time thinking about the the product and then it will have more more impact hmm. that for me is seeing the bigger picture when you're when you're going what is it in this system that isn't working mm. um, and what is it that will work mm. okay so it's not just taking the client's marketing dollars or spend just because that's the thing that you do it's looking at the the product holistically and going actually the problem may not be with the communication the problem may be somewhere else down the line and let's look at that first and fix that yeah and it's not necessarily our job to fi- to fix that product right it's a, yeah we're not we're not experts in that but we can go we think this is this is probably going to be the, the 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 issue you run into um and you know it's not always like it's it's not always as clear cut as that but yes it's taking a holistic view and understanding every part of their communication even if we're going to be executing or delivering that part of that plan yeah which actually could take money out of out of your pocket which actually goes back to your earlier point around linking fees to performance Mm -hmm. just going back to sort of what you just said there doing business in the way that you've just described it means that actually there are there are times when you'll be advising your clients not to spend money with mediacom and 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 do Mm -hmm. something else so talk a little bit about what you said earlier, linking fees to to compensation, because that this is something that pretty much every agency, I don't know why every agency doesn't do this, because essentially, you know, an agency is hired because they need to get results for the client. Mm-hmm. And it seemed as though in the early days of, of media and communication, that's what a lot of agencies did. We seem to have gone away from that in the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years or, or what have you. Talk a little bit about what the challenges are of doing it. Why don't more agencies do it? Why don't more clients insist on it? And why have you focused on 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 doing this for Mediacom? Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a really good question. So I, you know, to boil it down to its principles, I I believe that an agency should be paid for the value that they add, and the value that we add for our clients comes in a number of in a number of ways. So sometimes the value that we add to clients is through the um, purchasing of media space for them and the uh, improvement in price that we can offer them versus competition, and they would pay us for that. So that sometimes that would be part of it. Sometimes the value and part of the value that we add to them is the advice we give to them. So the recommendations and the planning and the thinking and the expertise that we bring to the table that they don't have within their own organisations. So we bring an expertise that they don't. So there's a, a value to that. 
And then another value that we add is the outcomes that we achieve for them. So the, um, the, the improvements on the return of investment um, that they get from their, their money. And I think that's where it becomes quite complicated because I think the first thing you can, you can quantify quite easily. So are you buying, buying the media space um, better than anyone else? There are auditors that can help quantify that. You can, you can justify that. Do I think that um, the, the advice that I'm getting from uh, my agency is good and good quality? Well, you can, you can you know, have uh, quality service questionnaires. You can, you can quantify that to a, to a certain extent. And then you get into, okay, am I getting a better return on investment uh, because of the advice that I've been given? And how do I make a fair way of remunerating my agency based on uh on a, on achieving that i think that's where it becomes quite complicated so for some clients that outcome they're looking for is a sale and they are probably more performance type advertisers who are you know i'm going to spend some money here i expect a relatively short-term return for that money and you can you can measure that quite quite yeah it is quite complicated but it is um less complicated than some of the other services right um, and that, and that is an easier sort of um, approach. Some advertisers are looking for a behavioural change, so they might be looking to to get someone to think something differently, or to think of their brand differently, um, or to make sure that their brand is top of mind more often. It's much more difficult to quantify the impact that the media agency has had on that, mm. um, and say, right, well, definitely, if if we hadn't have done that we wouldn't have sold these cans of drink or um, these other products. Mm. So I can understand why it's actually quite a complicated thing for, client, for clients to buy into, but also it's, a, uh, it's an opportunity for agencies to start to unpack that kind of collection of, of different things that are going on and to pull apart the impact that they are having. Because even in the kind of more behavioral change and brand shifting metrics, there is a way of tying that back to um, a tangible outcome. And you can start to separate the impact that, that, that the media advice has, has had on it. Um, and I think you know, the, re the, the reality of why that isn't so prevalent is because it's quite a complicated thing to do. So give us an example to kind of bring this to life. And the example that I'd like you to share is the um the example that I'm going to give you um uh, is the PS5 one which was just like culturally relevant huge um i mean it was the biggest ever console launch it became the most desired entertainment device in the world at the time just back end of of 2020 you took mm -hmm. over the london underground and and all the tube stops and it was just it, it, it was everywhere um is that a good example of kind of what you're talking about in terms of, you know, creating something culturally relevant, tying in different uh, channels, making sure that you have an integrated approach to your communications, as well as place and price and everything else that we've just discussed? I mean, I, th I think it's a, it's a great example of a lot of things. Campaigns like that, launches like that are a real privilege to be part of because they don't happen all the time. The lead up to the, the PS5 launch, as you can imagine, was kind of there's lots of NDAs, lots of sort of secrecy around kind of what's going. It's a hugely competitive and, uh, and, and, and critical launch to get right um, to, to win that console race. Um, 
I think what what that is a, a great example of is client and agency teamwork. So the agency and the client, you know, worked very very closely together. Um, you know, pulled together expertise um, from from across the um, uh, both sides um, actually and. Um, yeah, the original, the nugget of the idea uh, came from a, a session with the client, and the client was, was like, "Well, could we do this? Could we, could we take over, um, you know, the tube signs? Can we change them so that they're like our logo?" So the, the client kind of came up with that that idea. It's like, "Well, that's wow. that's just genius, right? That's a genius idea." That's brilliant. So okay, so then everything starts to go into action because the nub of an idea is part of it, right? But then how you expand that and how you push it as far as you possibly can is what makes a great campaign. So obviously the, the kind of the, the changing the signs is, is part of it. But then when you look at that campaign and you look at kind of how it infiltrated the tube and um, they, they created a whole host of content that used that mechanic uh, and replicated that, you start to build a bit of a communication system. And I think you, you, you said it, that cultural relevance, it was a brilliant way of just taking a brand and embedding it into culture and making it feel like it was part of society. Yeah. And I think that is when advertising works its best, right? We talked earlier about the fact that the best advertising isn't noticed as advertising. Mm. That's a great example of that, right? There's a great example of something that people just went, wow, yeah, that's cool. I like that. That's, mm. that's a brand becoming part of society, becoming part of my, the fabric of life. Um, and when you get the opportunity to do that, you have to then push it and you have to create more of a, a system and a network around it. Um, but I think it's, it's a great example of how Mediacom came in to, to help make that actually happen. So our, our connections and our influence with the, the, the media owners in order to change something that is quite a, you know, it's a cultural symbol and it's right, right? The, the, sure. the, the tube sign is a important part of British society definitely so, so our our ability to kind of um help make that possible and and realize that kind of brilliant idea um was kind of the role that we have and then the the pushing of that so that it it became more than just that idea it became a whole communication system was was absolutely um a great example of of, of putting together a, a bigger picture um, and a culturally relevant campaign Super fascinating. I absolutely love it. What what were some of the hardest parts about executing that idea? I mean, just I've got a million questions on this, but we don't have the, have the time. <laughs> but but last question, I mean, what were some of the most challenging parts or the, or the hardest parts to sort of take from idea to execution? I imagine that just that conversation with London Underground about um, TFL mm-hmm. around sort of how you actually bring this into into reality. Talk about some of the most, the more challenging parts of actually executing this. I was not deeply involved in the execution of the campaign. I kind of have to put that down to the brilliance of the team that, that were working on it. So I, I, I couldn't really go into the kind of too much detail around that. But certainly when you talk to any uh, <laughs> owner of a, of a big cultural landmark like the underground sign and say we would like to change that right. <laughs> you, you 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 start in a slightly uh <laughs> weird position so right. uh yeah i wouldn't i would uh, I, 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 that was a, a a difficult conversation but a but one that was executed brilliantly 
Absolutely brilliant. Okay, last couple of questions and then we'll get on to our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests, which I'm cool. super excited about. Um, so let's talk a little bit about diversity and, and mm -hmm. inclusion. And, you know, 2020 put a huge spotlight on DNI, not only in our industry, but in, in the rest of the world. And it's kind of made a lot of these conversations more acceptable to have now openly in the workplace mm -hmm. around uh, the challenges of uh, sort of diverse people coming into the industry, staying in the industry, progressing in the industry. Uh, mm -hmm. It's less taboo to discuss these things now. How mm -hmm. does Mediacom see the problem of diversity and inclusion and what are you doing about it? It's a great question. And I think the first thing to say is we see it as a problem, um, which not everyone has done in the past or, or, or kind of does still, I think, you know, it's very clear to us that um, diversity and inclusion um, is not where it needs to be. Um, and um, workplaces are, you know, I think we, we talk a lot about belonging, whether you feel like you belong. Um, and I feel um, obviously that I belong in, in most situations because um, I'm a I'm a white male and and there mm. are white males everywhere and therefore my you hadn't noticed and they're all over TV uh, um, and therefore you feel like you, you belong and that isn't the experience for everyone and I think it's important that that is recognised and we go well how do we make uh, uh, an environment where people do feel like they belong even if they are not the majority representation. Um, and how do we make sure that actually our, our diversity and inclusion is representative of our society? So there is so much to be done here. You know, we, we at Medicom are, you know, have been on this journey for a little while um, and are, are kind of pleased that we have been and have taken you know, diversity and inclusion very seriously for a number of years. Uh, but we, you know, we are not where we need to be. We are possibly slightly ahead of the industry in mm. terms of diversity and inclusion, but we're not reflective of society. Uh, and, and that's where we need to be, right? We need to be mm. um, looking at the world through the lens of the world. Um, and I think until we get to that point, we can't really be saying that we're, um, yeah, we're, 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 we're doing the best that we can, mm. uh, but we are trying. Um, and there's a number of initiatives around there. And I, you know, um, for, for a long time, we've had um, apprenticeship schemes which have um, seeked to bring people from uh, different backgrounds into, um, uh, in, in, into media and advertising. So school leavers um, and people from less affluent backgrounds, um, making sure that those opportunities are available to, uh, to people from different social backgrounds than the typical sort of middle class backgrounds. Um, we have you know, focus very much on our um, black and Asian uh, recruitment process to make sure that people feel that those uh, those roles are available. You know, I'll uh, uh, to, you know, be really clear, we're not good enough when it comes to our more senior levels um, in, in the agency. It's a, and it's something that we are uh, very aware of. Uh, actually, gender-wise, the diversity is, is around 50-50 at Exco level. Um, in fact, it's slightly um, in favour of women at the Exco level um, and at the next level down. Um, but um, ethnic diversity is not um, as strong as it should be, certainly not representative of, of society. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Um, the last year has, has pushed this into 
sharp, sharp focus for lots of businesses. It's the first point in that journey is to recognize that there is so much to be done and that everybody has a role to play. And I, look, I, I struggled this, with this for, for a long time about, you know, what does, what does a, you know, a, a white male, middle-class, heterosexual, able-bodied man have sure. to say about kind of diversity and inclusion? I mean, you know, literally every door open <laughs> that could possibly be, right? Mm. Um, and, and actually in talking to people about this and going and, and being open and saying, look, well, you know, to, to, to black friends, to disabled friends and going, I feel uncomfortable because I feel like, <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. It, yeah. And they just said, oh, actually, it, it, it's about recognizing that and then making sure that you can be an ally and calling out situations where people might not feel like they belong. Mm. When conversations are happening or situations that are occurring that might be excluding people. Um, I think one of the most powerful things we've done in the last, in the last year is um, train the entire agency around microaggressions. Oh. Um, microaggressions, uh, for people listening who haven't heard that phrase, just tiny little comments that might not have mean, you know, mean anything or you just might throw flippantly away. But actually, the cumulative effect of those is really, really divisive and, and incredibly damaging for people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people um, uh, being asked, where, where are you from? And then saying, oh, I'm from Brixton. Like, no, no, where are you really from? Okay. Like, yeah. Uh, those types of things. Or sure. someone saying, oh, that's so gay um, mm. as, a, as a sort of a put down. Or even things like, you know, oh, I'm really dyslexic today. Um, all of these little things, if somebody is dyslexic and suffering from those are, are microaggressions and highlighting those is a kind of a, a moment because you realize that, you know, some of the, some of them you might've said, and you, you need to address those and be aware of those. So. Definitely. And, and these are things that are, you know, have been with us really since childbirth and we, they're just kind of phrases and ways of speaking, but we don't realize how damaging they can be to people that aren't in our group. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I was listening to a podcast the other day where um, uh, English guy and he was talking to uh, some American people about Chinese whispers, and they said how offensive the term Chinese whispers is in America because it comes it's it, it's a completely it takes it's a completely different context that it came out of and. Uh, but in England, when we say Chinese whispers, we don't mm -hmm. mean anything by it. There's no, you know, we would be uh, surprised to hear that people would be offended by by the term. But in a different cultural context, it, it has meaning and significance. So just recognizing those things and being more careful about our language does take work and effort and time. But it's something that's definitely needed to be um, needed to be addressed. One other thing that I wanted to sort of just focus on, I mean, you said the word opportunity there and that and that goes back to kind of one of our core values, which I'm sure you'll agree that, you know, everyone uh, in the world, you know, talent and intelligence is equally distributed, but opportunity is the thing that's not. And I think that's the thing that mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of rightly highlighting. So, um, yeah, it, it's clear to see that it's something quite hard close to your your minds at, at Mediacom. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's get on to everyone's favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. So I'm really <laughs> excited to ask you some of these as well. A bit more about who's the person behind the brand sort of questions. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Oh, 
Good question. I've just taken on a new, a new role uh, in the agency and have been given a fairly big task uh, by my boss. Um, and I, um, yeah, I went about it. And I went about it in a very methodical way, and I, uh, uh, I, I thought that what I had done was, yeah, very thorough and very kind of, um, you know, detailed. And I then went to present it to the the sort of the the, the leadership team, and. Um, uh, whilst I'd kind of included everyone in the in the discussion and some of the the sort of the the the, the investigation and the research I was doing into it, what I what became very apparent very quickly is that I hadn't taken them on the journey. Mm. So I'd had a conversation with lots of people, and then I came back and presented a thing. Ta-da. Right. And I mean, it's it's schoolboy, right? Um, so. Because. You never do that with a client. You, know, you you never go, okay, client, that's a brief, brilliant. I'll see you in three weeks and I'll come back sure, with the answer. It is. Yeah. You always go through the process and you explain the logic and you and you check in and you have regular conversations so that by the time right. you get to the end, it's everyone's. It's not. And so, I think what that um, what that really taught what that taught me very quickly was that for any type of particularly this was quite a big change program, right? So we're, we're, shifting something significant in the agency so you need to very quickly ensure that everybody is taken on that journey and you cannot over communicate it's impossible you cannot Mm. over communicate Mm. that's a great one tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about media and advertising and everything we've discussed today um, well, yeah, I've been, I'm blessed to have worked with some incredible people who I have taken lots of and continue to work with these people who, who take lots from. So, you know, there's a, a massively long list. Yeah, Steve Allen, Nick Lawson, Karen Blackett, uh, yeah, uh, Sue Uniman, uh, Claudine Collins, Josh Kaczewski, my current boss, Kate Rowlandson. There's this, it's like just huge industry yeah. kind of giants who who you can kind of learn from i think one that's perhaps less less famous my first boss ever steve edwards um uh he worked at, <laughs> at mediacom um he was a very good teacher he taught me some really he was he took his job of being a teacher of how to do things and how media works very very seriously and we worked together for a number of years, about five or six years. And he was just very good at kind of really focusing and on the basics. And I was, you know, as you say, fresh out of university. But he was really careful to explain why we did certain things and the reason behind them. And I found that incredibly valuable. Um, so it wasn't necessarily so much of a mentor, but I think I took a lot from that kind of those early years of him mm. being very, very um, considerate in in explaining kind of the background and the detail around media. I learned a lot uh, 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 about it from him. But then, mm. yeah, I mean, the, the 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 number of people that I could that I could list that have that have worked with at MediaCom who've kind yeah. of helped me through uh, it just goes on for for ages. Yeah, yeah, excellent list and great guest list of future podcast guests as well. So I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, touch. definitely. Tap uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> tell tell us about some of your favorite books. What do you read for personal professional development? Uh, yeah, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. 
So favourite book of all time is is, is Catch Twenty Two because I love the sort of absurdity of, uh, of the situation and the and Catch Twenty Two is just a brilliant yeah. brilliant thing. So Joseph Heller's Catch Twenty Two, great book. Um, and I sort of I, I, big fan of Kurt Vonnegut as well. Kind of mentioned this on some po- podcasts, Kurt but um, yeah, sort of five and Breakfast uh, of Champions. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, sort of my particular favourite. Um, right. But then, yeah, from a, I listen to a lot of uh, audio books. Actually, I'm not a great reader. Um, being dyslexic, actually, um, I, mm. I, 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 it takes me a little while to plug through a book. But audio books have been brilliant because you can listen to them really quickly. Mm. I, I probably have one audio book going at all times. Um, mm. I give I'll give a plug for um, Sue Uniman's uh, most recent book, Belonging. Which okay. um, is her most recent book, um, Glass Ceiling, being her previous previous book, but I think um, speaks a lot to kind of what I was talking about earlier about creating yeah. a culture of uh, of belonging where people can belong in a workplace. Um, right. uh, and as we've talked about, yeah, critical now for successful organisations. Mm, really fascinating. Okay, Amazon Prime or Netflix. By the way, um, I've got all of the. I've got Catch Twenty Two on my bookshelf. I still haven't haven't got to it. I've got Sue Uniman's book. I know so many people have told me on the podcast like I need to read it. I've always just struggled with like with fiction though. I'm something about reading choices makes me think I should be reading something practical. <laughs> like I need to <laughs> I need to get I need to get better not reading business books. Anyway. That, that I, um, let me go back to my, my favorite question Amazon Prime on, on Netflix what are you watching or streaming that is good now or has been good and some of your favorites so I'm watching this is us on Amazon Prime so okay. um, that's that we've just started that um, my wife and I said the end of the first season on that uh, Mayor of East Town on uh, Sky Atlantic which is looking great actually the really first good, episode yeah. of that's looking amazing okay. um netflix i've caught up with my wife on the crown so alex has watched the crown and she kept saying it's really good it's really good it's really good and you've I'm just, just not sure. only caught up on the crown yeah brilliant i know TV. i know brilliant brilliant TV. it's amazing it's really oh, really really good really so good. good i think i think i prefer the earlier ones but i don't know yeah it's, the young it's queen. pretty good yeah yeah, the the older queen gets better as you stick with her. She gets she gets better. I I was like you. I was like mm, I prefer the young queen. But actually, as it continued, I think the older queen just gets it. But that's just personal preference. Um, yeah, yeah. It- <laughs> no, I, I think I when I when I saw Claire Foy, you saw the queen. But um, yeah. Olivia Coleman, you saw Olivia Coleman. But I think I'm stopping Olivia seeing Coleman. Olivia Coleman now. I'm starting. Yeah, to see the queen. and you're seeing yeah. the queen. Yeah, she's brilliant. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, what do you do for? What do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? Well, one of the the upsides of lockdown is I've been able to spend a lot more time keeping fit. So, I the beginning of beginning of the first lockdown, so what, fifteen, sixteen months ago, I went. Well, this is only going to last a couple of weeks, so <laughs> I'm not going to change my alarm. I'm going to keep my alarm at six o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to carry on getting up. And I'll just use that time to to to, to do exercise for now because I didn't want to get to that holiday thing where, you know, you're getting up later and later and then you can't switch back. Sure. Obviously, it didn't last two weeks. It lasted a lot longer just than a, that. Just a but bit I kept it up. Two weeks. But I yeah. kept it up, and I, I've 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 done it, and that does help mentally and physically. I think kind of okay. every day, every weekday. I used to do most of my exercise at the weekend. I now do most of it in the week, Amazing. every morning, something just to get me started. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, 
and I've started doing, um, I mean, it sounds a bit of a cliche, doesn't it? But the sort of yeah, mindfulness okay. and meditation okay. and I'm trying to embrace that part of the world. But how um, are you? How, <laughs> it doesn't sound as though it's working. How are well, you finding Well, I'm, I'm listening to a podcast. Um, I can't believe it's not Buddha, okay. um, which is Lee Mack and, uh, and his... Um, uh, and his producer, which is very funny, actually. And anyone who's sort of like trying it. to look at Buddhism or mindfulness or kind okay. of meditation, but yeah. is, is also a bit of a cynic as well, it's yeah. worth a listen. I'd, okay. I'd recommend that. Okay. I can't believe it. it's not Buddha. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. Last couple of questions and I'll, I'll let you go. What, what advice would you give to a young person or millennial who wants to start their career in a medium agency? I'd say that's a very good idea, first off. Um, I would say get involved as quickly as you possibly can in new business because it will teach you more about what the agency does because you'll see everything come together. Um, it will get you to meet more people than you would if you were just working in your team. And it's really exciting when you win. Great advice. Um, and my last question, Luke, what do you know about media and advertising today that you wish you knew 20 years ago when you first joined Mediacom? That is a brilliant question. Isn't it? Um, Sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to be modest. No, it, it is. is a, it's a really it good, good question. question. What do I yeah. wish that I knew? Um, 20 years ago. It's actually invest, an investment question. Yeah, I think I wish that I... I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I, I, it's always... It's, 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 the things that you could have made sure that you were ahead of, um, because yeah. lots of things By kind Facebook. of change and, uh, and, and, and over, but, but if you were to able to go back and say, right, the, the thing that is going to fundamentally change, um, the, 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 the way that people interact with advertising is a combination of basically broadcast TV and uh and um, and and search activity if you can nail those two things and the combination of those two things together you're going to be in a very strong position um mm. to drive growth for brands so i think it's it's about predicting the things that are going that that, that we're going to really change the agent the, the 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 advertising world and kind of google google is fundamentally one of those isn't it that's kind of yeah shifted the, the the way in which the whole industry um operated but is arguably just to interrupt you there is argue is amazon arguably more powerful than google because google is telling you what people intend to buy whereas mm -hmm. amazon is telling you what actually people are buying so is it not is amazon a bigger part of this equation than what google is i mean where do you where do you stand on that <laughs> is, is Amazon more <laughs> bigger than Google? I look, they're both clearly both behemoths and uh, and, and fundamentally, you know, shifting the, the 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 way that consumers behave. Um, I think that um, potentially, or rightly, potentially, that, that 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 Amazon, as it starts to join together the content and the um, uh, uh, and, and the sales part, potentially it's got a, it, it's got a yeah. better system than Google, which has, which has kind of got search and YouTube, but they're very, very separate. 
mm. how Amazon starts to play with Prime and the sales e-commerce platform is going to be a really interesting thing to watch. So I think, um, again, you know, if, 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 if you're hedging, you're going to, you're going to put a bit on both, right? Mm, mm, a little bit, yeah. And, and you'd come out, you'd, you'd come out fairly richer on the other side. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Absolutely loved it, Luke. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. We have been speaking with Luke Boziat. He is currently the COO at MediaCom. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 130 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in media and advertising. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Tyler Baller is our editor. Christoph Buaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. Thomas, really interesting conversation there with Luke Boziat. You know, we touched on so many things. The main thing that I'm taking away from it is just the complexity of the media landscape at the moment. We, we know that the world is becoming more and more digital. It's far more complex, um, both on the consumer and on the B2B side. Um, and for agencies to be able to successfully solve their clients' challenges, they need uh, to develop newer and, and more capable skill sets and muscles, n- not only internally, but externally as well with partners, third parties and, and vendors. Talk a little bit about what, for successful agencies to be successful, what are some of the main skill sets and abilities that they need to develop in order to be successful today? Yeah, Nathan, I totally agree. Uh, good comments, good reflections from Luke, uh, talking about how how both interesting and challenging challenging it is today in in the uh, not only in the, in the agency world, but in, in particular in, in Luke's uh, area in the media agency world, where they really need to be able to balance uh, development, new things, B two C, B two B, at the same time, uh, and and they need to be able to to uh, to talk to and solve problems for uh, all kinds of uh, clients uh, at yeah in, in, in Luke's situation at, at time in, at global level. Uh, so uh, there is a lot of different challenges they are meeting. Uh, I think it's really strong to hear from an agency, a COO from a big agency saying, well, from time to time, we actually need to, to let the clients know that, that they shouldn't spend any t- uh, money on advertising, et cetera. They mm. should look at the products, et cetera, et cetera and, and going that way around. Sure. But, but it is in, in the fact way, I used to be part of, of a media group for 12 years prior to where I'm now. So, I know that from internally, it's, it's really, really hard to to uh, to orchestrate everything at the same time. You need to connect to the specialists, and then as Luke said, well, they tend to to look at themselves and say, well, you need more of what I have, and sometimes that's not just the solution sure. um, to present to to the clients. But it's always really interesting to to work with the agencies like MediaCom uh, because. Uh, we are presented from time to time with, with challenges they are meeting and say, well, we need external uh, uh, partners uh, to do that. And then Account Insight brings along uh, our toolbox, uh, both uh, together with, with, with the clients and together with the agencies and figure out what to do here. Because it is very much about uh, putting together the, 
the right strategy for 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 the for the single client at mm. at, at the right time, and uh, and even though they probably have one of the biggest toolboxes uh, toolboxes uh, available uh, at at MediaFarm when it comes to 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 digital B two B and account based advertising IP targeting etc. Um, they need help, um, and we know that because we we came from that family uh, some years back before we became independent. Mm. Uh, working, working with uh, with the market, but it is very much it's very much about figuring out what's the right solution, uh, trying to talk the, the client's uh, language, and then really trying to understand what what is needed at at, at a given point of time. Uh, and they they need to develop uh, being an agency, being a, a consultant as well. It's very much about. Uh, not only looking at the media landscape, they, they they need to be able to to orchestrate the media landscape, but they also need to be able to to understand the client situation, the objectives, the business focus that the clients are already always uh, meeting. Uh, in the end, it's always about sales, uh, brand positioning, etc. But 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 it's very much about okay, how to connect all the dots. There is so many around uh, today. Uh, the decision journey is getting more and more complex. Uh, mainly because of uh, social platforms, but 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 the internet in general, uh, and and how to uh, how to uh, work with the touch points that that the clients or the the customers will will interact with uh, during that journey, and how to put all that that together. So, uh, so yeah, really interesting uh, reflections, and always great to hear. Uh, uh, Strong knowledge uh, that 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 a guy like Lucas is bringing with 20 years uh, with a media com. Sure. Uh, so yeah, a lot of experience, and also telling the market that that even though many of the agencies are, are also uh, mainly are, are with the workforce workforce is mainly it's rather young, they really need these uh, strong, skilled, experienced uh, people around. That can really orchestrate the strategy and 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 help pointing the the, the clients in in different directions, even if it means that it should be away from from the agency and in the other directions as well. Hmm. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Thanks for sharing your insights. Thanks. Bye.